Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. I don't think everything is ready for the world. I think that you know, though, um, and, I, and I call it a personal feat, right? You always know when you have... When you have, and, and it's got nothing to do, again, it's got nothing to do with what the global standards are mm -hmm. in terms of what other people perceive to be the right way or the or, or what, what they perceive to be polished work or, you know, because technically, I mean, Jean-Michel Basquiat is not polished in, 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 in comparison to say a, a um, I don't know, I, I don't know, like a, who, who is like a, a quintessential um, Monet, for instance, or one of these, like, I don't know, Renaissance artists, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like to them, that's polished, right? To, to Jean-Michel Basquiat, some abstract pieces of random, um, um, work is polished to him. But, but again, the key thing for me has been this idea of a feat. A feat is something that requires great courage, right? Okay. To complete. And so I, I say to myself in, in every work that I do, it's like, is this a personal feat? Have I achieved that feat? And you'll know, because again, it's not comparative, it's personal. And so I know when I've made that record, that's beyond anything that, and it required me to go into places that I've never been. And what, what's amazing about the world is that the world rewards that recognition of personal feat. And so when you hear that record, you know that this person went there. And that's why you bop to it. When you watch that film, you know that person went there, and that's why you appreciate it. Hi, this is Blitz Bazawule, and you are listening to The Wannabe Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Wannabe Podcast. I'm your host, Imri. Wannabe is the podcast that takes you from where you are right now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you for staying subscribed and listening in. You can subscribe for free and catch a brand new 30-minute episode every Wednesday. And if you enjoy this episode, tell a friend, tweet me at Wannabe Podcast, or screenshot and tag at Wannabe Podcast in your Insta stories. This week's guest is Blitz Bazarulo. He is a multidisciplinary artist who has had a successful career as a hip-hop artist and a visual artist. Originally from Ghana, Blitz has toured over 40 countries as an artist and has performed his music at TED. Blitz wrote, directed, produced, and scored his debut film, The Burial of Kujo. The film caught the attention of Academy Award nominee Ava DuVernay, who says, and I quote, he's one of the freshest and most important new directors in cinema today. And the film is now part of her Array Film Distribution Collective. Burial of Kojo will be available on Netflix on the 31st of March, so please do make sure you check it out. In today's episode, Blitz will teach you about the power of having a clear purpose and mission in your artistic work, 
why it's important you focus on the content and not the polish of your work. We cover whether it's necessary for you to travel or migrate in order to be successful as an artist or a creative. He also shares the reason why his work resonates with so many and why it's essential that your work is seen by as many people as possible. What I'd like to know is because I guess for listeners listening in, um, you grew up in Ghana um, before moving yes. to Brooklyn for a while um, as an artist. Um, but growing up in Ghana, what was it like to be an artist? Can you describe that at all? To be an artist? Mm, to be a visual artist in Ghana. To be a visual artist. Um, it was, it was, I mean, fortunately, you know, you know, because all of these things really depend on your household, you know. I was fortunate. I, I grew up in a, an extremely supportive household, which is kind of very rare um, for a kid to want to pursue art. And, you know, you know, growing up with quite typical African parents, but still them giving me the, the, the freedom to choose uh, an art, a uh, life of art, you know, was kind of rare. And kind of I've gotten that same support at every kind of turn from visual art to music to now cinema. You know, my parents have and, and my siblings have always kind of stood by me. So that is that I know that's very rare because um, a lot of my peers, their challenges um, having to live up to this, um, um, I guess, expectation of being a doctor or, you know, like some high end, you know, profession, you know, because yeah. we don't quite respect the arts as a, as a viable option, whether it's economical or, or culturally, you know, so we, we've, we've just kind of not really invested in that. So I, I was very blessed and lucky to come from a household where, you know, my parents, neither of them were artists. My dad was an attorney and my mother was a, was a school teacher. And, um, I, um, you know, just, ne you know, I never once faced any, you know, issues of my career choice or even what I did for leisure. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd do anything else besides art? Um, no, not, not on, by the time I was 12, I was pretty sure that I was going to be an artist, some, some kind of artist. Yeah. By then, by then, you know, hip hop music had kind of, you know, engulfed my whole life. So, you know, then it, yeah, I just imagined I was going to be a musician. I, I, I wasn't trained at all. But I, f I figured with hip hop, you know, having the sensibilities and the ability to communicate directly was was kind of a, a, a basis of the culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew that I could do something in it, you know, um, but but also even thinking back then, you know, and I, as as I'm motivated today, I think the same motivations were true back when I was 12 was just the idea of representation, you know, and, and I also thinking back of that piece of artwork I did at the Indian High Commission mm -hmm. when I was probably um, not even, yeah, probably like 13, you know, um, it, it all revolved around representation. You know, yeah. I just I just didn't see why we were so familiar with the rest of the world and the rest of the world just kind of just didn't care we were here, you know, and it's too many of us, too many of us on the continent, it's too many of us in the diaspora, not to have a clear um representation or not to be represented clearly by ourselves so um i think that was the thing for me even when i was that young um i i always felt that um i knew everything or most things about america and anybody that i'd met from america had no idea 
um, about us. Yeah. You know, it, every, they were experiencing everything for the first time. So, you know, I, I knew that my work would be important in terms of uh, communicating and in terms of representation. That's a brilliant uh, mission to have. I, I have a similar mission with um, with the podcast and the work that I do as well in that. I think it's very important that we kind of tell our stories on our own terms. Um, and I think it's really important that we have, or we, we actually don't need permission. I think you also said this, that you don't need permission to tell your own stories. Um, but I do think there is something to having the confidence to tell your own stories. And I guess for you, you had this massive pivotal moment when you were quite young, um, where your first kind of big piece actually wins a prize. So that probably instilled a lot of confidence in you. But I was wondering if you had any advice for someone who probably equally was not feeling as as equally as confident as you are going into these competitions wanting to create art wanting to create um a body of work that represents themselves their culture or their identity in some way um and and what what do what can they do to build up some of that inner self-confidence to just put it out there anyway you know that's really tough i mean because i said you know it's it's a it's a usually it's it starts from your nuclear family mm. right if, you know if, if if you don't if you're not supported you know, I mean, before I was winning anything, you know, I, to my parents, I was like the best artist they, you know, they knew, you know, mm -hmm. and they championed it. They got me what I needed to draw and they allowed me to spend hours in the garage. You know, that was you know, our house was under construction then. So like I would, you know, stay and my mom would bring me food and never once be like, why are you here for these hours? So that's the biggest challenge, I think. And, and we can, we, you know, I think it starts with, with the family structure and, you know, how open they are to a life of art. But I do think that also, you know, now we live in a world that's uh, also quite decentralized. And, you know, I think you can hear more and more of these stories of people who may not be in your life, you know, or may not be, you know, in your community, but, you know, you can connect to them. And I, and I think that um, finding people who have done what you want to do, reading their autobiographies or their biographies and watching every piece of video on them on, on YouTube on how they overcame is, is critical. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I think that that's the advantage of, of, of this um, time we live in is access is unprecedented. So we can, we can, we can, we can have influence and, you know, beyond our geographic location, you know, we, anybody can inspire you now and you can have clear insight on how they create. Also, I, f I find that we live in a very um, uh, transparent world now where, mm -hmm. where a lot of what I, when I was growing up, a lot of things were shrouded in mystery. I, I didn't know how someone made a film. I didn't know how someone wrote a book, you know, but now, I mean, everything's on, on YouTube, you know, and when I was making my first film, so much of what gave me the confidence to edit the film the way I did and and to put you know the, the camera angles where they were was specifically because of of the kind of access that exists on on the internet I think that's a really good point um the internet has definitely broken barriers and enable it's almost democratized content in a really beautiful way um and I think the it's unleashed a whole range of different storytelling techniques and different stories are coming out I think it's beautiful and with the internet being what it is now um when you started out I guess quite a pivotal moment in your career was moving to Brooklyn and yes. I wanted to know how important migration was for your current success and if you were to do it all again from today do you think you would need to move based on how open the digital world is no I it won't be as critical now 
you know and when i when i was you know, talking early 2000s there wasn't you know i mean i came here in 2000 mm-hmm. right? so between 2000 2001 i mean there was no social media there was uh, barely you know you know any kind of social interaction besides email and messenger were the things that you know you were just reconnecting with people you already knew right um and ideas you already knew so youtube didn't exist none of these things existed so for me i, I didn't see i didn't see how it was possible to to kind of um for this mission that i was on to you know bring the world um africa from my eyes and bring Africa, the world through, you know, from my eyes as well. I, I didn't see how that would be possible without physically moving yeah. between spaces. Right. Um, that's been great. But but I but I, I think that there's still advantage in physically moving. I mean, you don't have to migrate now. But I, but I do believe that, um, you know, whenever you do get a chance physically being in that space, because it informs more than just what you are going to get on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to meet real people with real stories that will affect you in a real tangible way versus um, um, what you will get on the Internet. So I think that, it, yes, it, it wouldn't be as crucial um, and I probably wouldn't do it the same way. Uh, but um, I think that because we did it that way, it has brought into fruition a certain kind of world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that even when I look at music, um, and 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 how say sounds like Afrobeats from Nigeria has proliferated globally, you know that work is all based on the backs of earlier work that others. Have. This is Nicole Hannah Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Absolutely, I I can definitely agree to that. I, I never feel like we're ever really just the first. We can be the first to kind of do something a little bit differently but generally we are building on the work of others and it is quite nice to be able to pay homage to those that came before and kind of the foundation that they've set in order for our work to kind of reach a newer um, and sometimes even broader audience than what they were able to achieve themselves as well. Um, So could you kind of describe for people um, I guess like how you tried to you get I guess you started in visual arts then you went into music and then you kind of went into filmmaking and kind of returned to the, the visual arts. Is that kind of an accurate timeline of how you would describe your career trajectory? Um, and could you explain why you kind of meandered through those three paths and, and how that now, how that works with your kind of work today? Well, I mean, all three kind of just connected, you know, I've, I've never once looked at myself as, um, a musician, you know, you know, in a, in a kind of isolated from the rest of my creative endeavors, you know, cause mm-hmm. my music always benefited from, 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 from visual art. My visual art always benefited from music. My, you know, my film definitely benefits from both. They're, they're from the same vessel, in my opinion, yeah. they don't really separate. I mean, it, 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 for marketing purposes, yes. 
you know, I have to say I'm presenting to you a film, but essentially I'm prevent I'm presenting to you a piece of art that is, you know, multimedia um, and 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 it's from multiple sources. I mean, watching the burial of Kojo is Mike listening to a piece of of music that I compose. It's the same. Same kind of pacing, same kind of even the ideology of how I even edit a film is similar to how I've made music. Like I, I'm a hip hop artist, so I sample, you know. Yeah. And so, so those things are all they all come from the same vessel, and and I've never once ever separated them as individual. Um, for me, again, the only thing that has remained constant is this goal of representation, and that's the thing that has not wavered, um, irrespective of what medium was dominating the, the, the narrative. Um, it's always been about the same thing. Um, we need to be seen. We need to be represented our way. So you mentioned the goal for your work in general is always about the representation. Um, were there any kind of bigger goals beyond that? So did you have in mind that you wanted it to be seen by an international and global audience? Um, was that kind of something that was always actively in your mind? Like what would, would how would this kind of be viewed? to a much bigger group of people? How, how do you set your goals with regards to how the work is then um, received and distributed? Or distributed and received? <laughs> well, for me, it, it's, um, yes. I mean, I've, I've, I've first of all, I've, I've always believed that, you know, look, the, the, the world should be democratic. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in this, um, in this setup where we've kind of, agreed that we will be a non-entity, you know, for a, you know, um, whether it's through acquiescing this power or, or actively just abstaining, you know what I mean? Like we just have, we, the world moves on without us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I've never have agreed with that, you know, well, one, because it's not like black people are a small minority on some tiny island, you know? Numerically, we are probably one third of this planet. You know what I'm saying? Which means that which means that in any any space that you walk into, there should never be a situation where one third of representation. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. ...isn't you. So, like, if you get on a plane, for instance, and you're swiping through movies to watch, one third of those movies have to represent multiple niches of who you are as a, as a black woman, yeah. right? Black man, right? Like, like, that's how the world's supposed to work. Obviously, based on 
you know, other groups wanting to control land, labor, and every, other things. It's necessary that this the skewed nature of imbalance is no, has been normalized. But in a real world, like it should never be the case. And so, and so for me, that's where I begin my my work is knowing that we deserve to be one third. So there should be more of us, first of all. But those of us who are already there need to be seen by a third of this planet. It's just fair, you know what I mean? Um, and, and the same way that you've grown up watching multiple niches of white life or Asian life based on them propagating their work globally, mm-hmm. it's the same way that I believe that Africans should do the same. It is, again, it's only fair and democratic. So, so that's where I begin. So I, I never accept playing second fiddle, man. I'm always like, where are we? Where's the audience? And it needs to be on the biggest stage possible. That's how I moved into music. And I ended up touring close to 40 countries. And, and even though I may not be a household name, to most people, my work's gotten around the world pretty consistently. And it's done the work that I needed it to do. Uh, based on influence and based on bringing people a sense of who we are. Um, um, another thing, too, that for me is being critical, and I, I go back to representation, but tied into representation a story, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people on this planet are from, from more or less their story. So if I bump my head and I can't remember who I am, the only way you put me back together is story, right? So you're going to have to tell me um, where I grew up, where, where, you know, where I, where I went to school, what I liked, what I drew, what I, you know, and that's eventually I should be able to put back myself based on story and narrative. So to answer your question, I've always wanted to be, be on the biggest stage. Um, not for, per, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not driven by personal, you know, gain or motive. Fair enough. If I get a check, I, I appreciate it and I keep it moving, but mm-hmm. the necessity of being on that stage is so that those of us who don't have this privilege of story can yeah. put can piece things together based on seeing you on that platform. That's a fantastic reason to to tell the story and to create work. Um, I guess looking at it from being somewhat early early stage in your career or creating work, how how would you know when you're ready for a kind of global or international audience? Like, do you have an inst every time you're creating, do you just think everything is ready for to be seen by everybody? Or or do you feel Absolute, like there's some things absolutely. that were just too mature too premature? Like how do you know? Absolutely not. I don't think everything is ready for the world. I think that you know though. Um and I and I call it a personal feat, right? You always know when you have when you have and, and it's got nothing to do again, it's got nothing to do with what the global standards are mm-hmm. in terms of what other people perceive to be the right way or the or, or what, what they perceive to be polished work or you know, because because technically, I mean, Jean Michel Basquiat is not polished in 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 comparison to say a a um I don't know, I don't know, like a who who is like a quintessential um Monet for instance or one of these like I don't know renaissance artists right mm-hmm. like like to them that's polished right to to Jean-Michel Basquiat some abstract pieces of random um um work is polished to him but but again the key thing for me has been 
this idea of a feat. A feat is something that requires great courage right, okay. to complete. And so I, I say to myself, in, in every work that I do, it's like, is this a personal feat? Have I achieved that feat? And you'll know because, again, it's not comparative. It's personal. And so I know when I've made that record that's beyond anything that and re, and it required me to go into places that I've never been. And what, what's amazing about the world is that the world rewards that recognition of personal feat. And so when you hear that record, you know that this person went there mm. and that's why you bop to it. When you watch that film, you know that person went there and that's why you appreciate it. And again, I'm not saying that there, are, there, isn't, there aren't machines that fake personal feat, mm. but I'm saying as, 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 as an individual, you will know when you've made that work. And, and I, I can't tell you, you know, and you can't tell me I, I will know um, when I've done that work. And then when I've done that work, then, then, then naturally becomes my responsibility because of how much I, I know went into that work. I don't sleep until, the, until as many people as possible have access to that work, right? And, and I think that's such an important ethos for young artists to have because we're in a world that seems like who's picked is arbitrary and it's based on who you know, and I'm not saying some of that isn't necessary for people who advance. Um, and and I, I can't say my work hasn't benefited from who I know either. But I do know that the work that I have that has had impact on the world has been based on my personal feat. And knowing that I've done it means that I don't sleep until enough people have seen and heard it. Wow. But how much is enough? <laughs> is that just a knowing thing as well? that you feel satisfied? Or is it just that constant drive and that hunger and that, I guess, determination that keeps, keeps you going? I think it's, it's, it's all of that, you know, it's, it, I think all of those are kind of built in to, you know, because again, look, one thing that people don't understand or a lot of my peers, you know, and we talk about this a lot is that look, the only thing that's necessary is endurance, right? Like endurance is the only, only, when anybody asks me like, what do I need to make a film or what do I need to make an album or I always say just endurance, you know, because talent, skill, all that stuff is, is subjective, you know, like somebody might watch my film or might listen to my record and not like it. I, I can't, you know, those things have no bearing. Like the only thing that gets me through it is my level of endurance and it's necessary that we build a strong endurance base, whether it's through your community that backs you, whether it's through your personal quiet moments, because those things kind of are the only reason why you sustain your why, right? And you sustain your, your reason for doing the work. And otherwise, you know, there's so many reasons to cut corners, mm. right? And, and, and eventually you will find that you may arrive, you know, but it will be hollow. And so I, I've, I've never not, I've never wanted to deprive myself of that process of getting through it um, and making it against all odds. And I'm not saying that every, every work should be a bitter battle and, and should, should test your will to the extreme, but I'm saying that there is something to be learned from your ability to endure and your ability to go into those places that require you to go. Um, and I think that they give your work meaning and th that meaning will transcend yeah, and that's why you hear records that were made in the 60s and they still matter today. And it's not because they're the greatest piece of work, they're not the greatest piece of music, but there was something in that moment of that person where they were able to, and I, and I use 
I use Stevie Wonder a lot as an example. An album like Songs in the Key of Life or even Marvin Gaye's, um, um, you know, makes me want to holler. Like those records, clearly that person was in a space, in a place, and they went to a place that they probably were afraid of. And they bring out a work that eventually is going to live forever. Not, again, not because it, 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 it's artistically astute or it, it, it's just a moment of truth. Yeah. And, and we, sh- we should care about moments of truth because that's what lingers on. Bob Marley is, 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 is a moment of truth. And those moments of truth are forever going to live on, irrespective of time, age, and place. So those things all connect. And, you know, I hope I'm not confusing audience in terms of, in terms of how you kind of view y- your entire journey. But I think that it's all these little pieces make you. And it's important to develop all of them because they're going to determine um, the work you make and the longevity you have. Now, that was beautiful. I feel very like motivated to um, endure a little bit longer because I definitely have moments where I'm like, oh, this is exhausting. I'm tired. Um, I don't want to do this anymore. And there's even and then aside from just the general exhaustion and frustration of putting work out there and trying to get it seen, which is a lot of work. I don't think anyone should underestimate just how much it takes to put work into um, content out into this world. Um, but in addition to that, there's doubt um, and and not feeling like it's being seen or recognized or, you know, acknowledged in a way that feels meaningful or significant. So there, there's a lot of um, kind of unpleasant or limiting emotions that can get in the way. But you're right. There is something to be said about persevering and enduring those moments and pushing through and pushing yourself harder to create something that has real meaning and um, can have a lasting impact. That stands the test of time. I think it was truly very beautiful, very beautifully put. Um, I guess what would be my final question really is um, about The Burial of Kojo, which is coming out on the 31st of March on Netflix for the UK. Um, I saw the trailers. I haven't seen it yet. I didn't want to ruin it for myself. I actually want to watch it when everyone else watches it on Netflix on Sunday. Um, And the trailer is beautiful. Like it looks visually very rich and stunning. Um, But I was actually personally curious about how you managed to get that to catch the attention of Ava DuVernay's film distribution network, Array. Um, and what made you say yes to that method of distributing this particular piece of work? Word. So um, as it relates to Ava, I mean, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the long game. You know, the long game matters. Um, because my foray into music, probably a decade, of, of, again, not, you know, you know, the, the success of it is debatable, you know what I mean? But it, it's never, it's never been debatable to me because I, I, I've been very clear what I set out to do, which is connect the diaspora in a very tangible way. And, and I've more than achieved that a few times over in terms of connecting, for instance, Afro-Brazilians who've been cut away from us for so long, you know, but are probably the most populous outside the continent and um, have this very little connection to us. You know, I, I went out there, I camped, you know, I made a short film there, I've played concerts there. I'm probably, for a lot of them, I'm their first, you know, contact as it relates to, you know, continental Africans and, and getting, getting open to that, to that vibe. So, you know, I've never questioned the success of my work. It's, it's been extremely successful from my viewpoint. 
And um, that work has led me to connect with the diaspora in a very tangible way. And Ava DuVernay is part of that extended family that, you know, Ava is a fan of my music. That's where it starts. Right. Oh, so okay. th- there's already that relationship. Right. So when I do make a film, it's natural. You know what I mean? Um, also, you know, I really operate from a perspective of the fact that the African diaspora really has everything it needs to solve its problems. And if we if we only if we connect properly. Right. And and because we, because we've all been socialized differently based on how we faced white supremacist propaganda. So on the continent, we have we've lost certain things, but have maintained certain things. In the Americas, we've lost certain things and 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 maintained certain things. For instance, I give you an example. When I go to Brazil, I find that traditional African spirituality is a lot stronger than anywhere on the continent I've ever been. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously, there's a part of their genetic memory that's maintained. However, in the same Brazil, you know, their political power is extremely limited. So like in Bahia, for instance, they've never had a black mayor when Bahia is 90% black, right? So clearly they can learn something from African-American organizing, which has a much stronger history and a much stronger legacy. Amazing. Uh, I'm really happy for you. It it sounds like an incredible opportunity and Ava is just a blessing to this earth. I just adore her. Um, I got to meet her last year and she's just incredible, just incredible as a person. So her mission is inspiring to say the least so yes you well done on getting this opportunity to not only work with her but through array as well and to get your your first film just distributed i'm really excited about watching it um and i hope everyone else is too is there anything you want the listeners who may also be tuning in to this on sunday or tuning into the movie on sunday should i say um to know or take away from the film because it is is quite different from what i guess is traditionally out there I, I, I want people to come and be immersed. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's the only thing. Um, we did, we did not make a cultural, a cultural safari of a film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? One that you, you sit back, it's a very immersive experience. And I really believe that if you come open, you know, you would, you will really, you know, take a, a lot away. So, so I, I think the only thing I'll say is come open and, 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 you know, put as many people on as possible and, and have watch parties. It's, it's important. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much, Blitz. This has been incredible. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, yes, to everything Blitz had to say about endurance and pushing yourself to overcome a personal fate to create art that moves people. I really felt that in my spirit. Make sure you keep an eye out for The Burial of Kojo on Netflix from March 31st. Also, you can follow Blitz on Twitter at Blitz Ambassador. That's B-L-I-T-Z-A-M-B-A-S-S-A-D-O-R. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you're listening via the Apple Podcast app, please do me the small favor of spending five seconds to leave a rating. And if you've got a little bit more time, leave a review too. Also, do get your career brand and marketing questions in for the mailbag episode at the end of the season. You can do this via wannabepodcast.com or you can just tweet me or DM me on Instagram. Whatever's easier for you, just send me your questions. I will happily answer them. Also, we have a new social media manager that's really set my Instagram on fire. So please do follow at one of the podcasts on Instagram to see what we're posting over there. If you like how this podcast is made and you think you can do what I do, then you need to reach out to the Shoutout Network. To find out more about membership options, visit shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. Also, we are doing the Content is Queen Women's Podcast Festival on May 18th. 
if you are a woman and even if you're not actually you're just interested in podcasting you want to find out what you need to do you need to have some help you need some workshops you need someone to look over your script come down to the festival on may 18th tickets are less than a tenner up until april 8th so please do make sure you get an early bird ticket they are available from solivefestival.com the link will be in the show notes or you can just go to the shout out network website and just click on festival everything you need is right there make sure you go and get a ticket you do not want to miss this day it's going to be incredible be sure to follow wannabe on twitter and instagram at wannabe podcast and i will see you next episode next week have a good day goodbye this is a cast recommends every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're gonna love today in focus is the daily news podcast from the guardian join me anushka astana every weekday as i bring you stories from across the uk and around the world we'll take you to the front line of the climate emergency. The smoke smells like everything is on fire. Behind the scenes in Westminster. We're in the sort of political Wild West. And we'll cover the latest trends in technology and popular culture. TikTok, TikTok, buzz, buzz, buzz. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the US and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.